0: And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now
1: is making sure that it delivers for the American people.
0: We have to make our country great again, and I will do that.
1: I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by
0: people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baird. Following a drone strike in the Middle East that left three U.S. soldiers dead and more than two dozen wounded, President Biden is assuring Americans that uh, the U.S. will hold all those responsible to account at a time and in a manner of our choosing, saying this afternoon that he has made a decision how to respond. The Biden administration is blaming the attacks on an Iranian-backed group. Meanwhile, here at home, as record numbers of migrants cross the southern border, House Republicans on Capitol Hill today looking to advance two new impeachment articles against Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, accusing him of refusing to follow immigration law and breaching public trust. To discuss this and more, we bring in our panel Republican strategist Colin Reed, USA Today Washington Bureau Chief Susan Page, and Fox News senior congressional correspondent Chad Pergram. Chad, where are we on the uh, impeachment effort?
1: Well, they're going to move this out of the uh, House Homeland Security Committee, and then it goes to the floor. Uh, The question there is whether or not they have the votes. It's about the math. Surprise, surprise. Republicans right now have the smallest majority that they've had uh, for any Congress since the 1930s. Uh, They can only lose two votes on their side, and I'm told that they have about two or three people uh, who are up in the air. Uh, They seem confident that they'll be able to impeach Mayorkas and then we're going to get into an interesting thing if that in fact happens We don't think any Democrats will vote. Yes Although I did press Pete Aguilar the chair of the Democratic caucus earlier uh, to say, you know What about some swing district Democrats? Wouldn't this be a good vote? And he said any vote for this We are just going to kind of remind our members that what you're doing is kind of egging on Republicans with these, you know Shenanigans as, as Democrats might put it here dealing with impeachment the issue is if they impeach Mayorkas and this will be the first impeachment for a cabinet secretary since William Belknap, who was the secretary of war in 1876, the Senate can't just say, we're not going to do anything. Under the Senate impeachment rules, they have to receive these articles of impeachment. The House prospectively would appoint impeachment managers. These are the prosecutors, essentially. There's a little bit of a ceremony where they take these things across uh, the Capitol dome from the House to the Senate. The Senate has to receive them. They have to spread them across the dais in the front of the Senate chamber. And then by rule, they have to start a Senate trial uh, the next day at one o'clock. Now, the question is, what does the Senate actually do with this? Chuck Schumer, the majority leader, he doesn't want to deal with this, especially if they're in the middle of, say, trying to get a a border deal on the floor. Okay, that could come up in the next week or, or two here. We'll see. Number two, the issue might become, do they just kind of flush this? You know, there was an impeachment of a federal judge in 2010, Samuel Kent, who after he was impeached by the House, uh, he then resigned. And so the Senate just said, okay, there's no reason going through the trial. So they just sent that aside. The question is, does Chuck Schumer have a bona fide trial? And is there any tough vote whether to flush this or actually deal with this at some point where Republicans then weaponize the dealing of the Mayorkas impeachment in the Senate, and it becomes a campaign political issue for vulnerable Senate Democrats. Sherrod Brown in Ohio, Tammy Baldwin in Wisconsin. Uh, you, you know, you could look at somebody like Bob Casey in Pennsylvania, you get the idea. So this John is a Tester problem in, Montana. in the Senate. John Tester, another one. Yeah, there's about five or six who would have competitive races.
0: Yeah. So right now that do they have the votes in the House? They
1: appear to have the votes, but the problem for House Republicans is who shows up, who's available that day. Uh, They have to be very careful to make sure that the people who would vote yes on impeachment are there and present next week. We think next week, probably the middle of the week, is when they would do this. Otherwise they are playing with fire.
0: Susan, this is a a message really, it's a, uh, you know, it's not, as Chad mentions, going to go anywhere in the Senate as far as a trial. Uh, that sort of thing. And Mayorcas has already told me in an interview, he's not stepping down, he serves at the pleasure of the president. Um, yet it is significant in that the first two states we've been in for voting, uh, the exit polls and our Fox News voter analysis came back with immigration being the number one issue. Uh, it's significant that both this and the battle with Texas about what's happening on the border.
2: You know, everybody, I think, agrees that immigration is a problem, that the situation on the border is not good, out of control, a crisis. Even the administration is has uh, come, come around to agree that this is not a tenable situation. And yet it seems like House Republicans who have pressed this issue for so long are looking for an issue and not for a solution. You know, we've had this bipartisan uh, negotiations in the Senate, good faith negotiations on both sides, how often do we see that? And yet it at this point has no prospect, I think, of coming to fruition because House Republicans have expressed have derided it, and President Trump has said they shouldn't pass it. so we we have what is, I think, more performance art than dealing with policy by having this impeachment uh, uh, drive for. Secretary Mayorkas, do you remember when impeachment was unusual? Because now it seems like just something they do on Thursdays.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. On the flip side, there is a little drama, uh, Colin, on the president's, you know, reversal here. Now it's a crisis. Give me the power and I'll do it. You know, I'll close the border. Yet he passed some dozens and dozens of executive orders in the first days of his time in office that reversed exactly everything that was working at the border. He had 94 executive actions in the first
3: 100 days, all without a legislative intervention whatsoever. That was his pen and his phone, as President Obama used to say. So. We got into this mess not overnight, but as a result of three years of President Biden refusing to acknowledge this was even an issue. And until recently, it was, he wouldn't even acknowledge it. His staff wouldn't acknowledge it at these White House press briefings. And now we're in the situation we're in. I remember during the Obama years when uh, uh, Alexander Mayorkas' predecessor would say something like 1,000 uh, illegal or migrant encounters a day was a problem. Now we're at 50,000. Think about that that problem has exacerbated so much over so much time so yeah we got into this mess not by anything that happened on the hill but by what President Biden has done for during his first three years in office now he's got a re-election a few short months away he sees those exit polls the same way we all do uh, the immigration surpassing the economy in these early states he knows he needs to do something but I don't think the American public is gonna believe that this is some, somehow the fault of one-half of one-third of government Uh, here in Capitol Hill. Yeah,
0: and Susan, I get the whole thing about the legislative jujitsu, to kind of turn it (laughs) around and and use it as a political issue. Um, However, on the flip side, there is this, you know, three years of not doing anything, number one. Number two, we we really haven't seen the legislative language, and, you know, if as reported, it says if it gets to 5,000, you know, at the border, then he can shut it off, uh, that's not a tenable thing for Republicans to agree on.
2: You know, it's interesting. That's too much, too much for Republicans. But this, these are the the measures that we believe are going to be in the Senate bill, assuming they ever put it out. Are measures that Joe Biden would not have agreed to early in his presidency. Uh, you know, the the White House, uh, as Colin said, has come to acknowledge this situation is serious. It's serious in policy terms. It's serious in political terms. Uh, so we'll see. What Biden is now willing to do, to the dismay of some of people in his own political base, is have a measure that doesn't include a path to citizenship for Dreamers, and one that pushes back, uh, rep- repels people who are coming over to try to claim asylum, which is of course something that's part of our our U.S. law. So this is Biden has come a ways, but not far enough, I, I, clearly, for House Republicans.
0: Yeah, I mean, they want H.R. too. Chad, I know you've got to leave uh, for a live shot at the top of the hour, but uh, on the issue of what's going to happen in response to these Iranian-backed proxy attacks and the drone attack that killed three U.S. soldiers, the Hill, is there a consensus that uh, something significant needs to happen? Uh, I know there's concern that strikes inside Tehran could somehow trigger some escalation. You hear it in almost every soundbite from the administration.
1: We're hearing it from both sides, basically, one group of people, and sometimes it's Democrats and Republicans saying, well, we need to do more, and others saying, well, this, this appeasement is what's going to lead to a wider war. That's part of the debate. The other issue is a question of war powers. You know, you had people like Lindsey Graham and Tom Cotton who were saying, we need to hit Iran in Iran okay uh, you know as I always say you might not be able to be a little bit pregnant but you can be a little bit at war and so you've had members of Congress even before the killings of the uh, the, the troops in uh, in, in uh, north uh, western Jordan northeastern Jordan I guess the question was you know there were letters that had been sent to the administration uh, from bipartisan members of the House saying you know we need to have an authorization on this you know if you look at the Constitution article 1 says that Congress can declare war of course the president is the commander-in-chief under article two and then you have the war powers resolution adopted in 1973 which says that uh, you know he can any president can go in and initiate military action certainly defend the united states so long as you report back to congress but some are worried about that becoming a slippery slope you've probably not heard the last of that Brett.
0: Yeah, i bet we're going to let you go i'll talk to these other two um Colin, it is significant, uh, but after 165 attacks, um, there is a lot of criticism on Capitol Hill. It's not just the Hawks saying uh, there there should have been something that prevented this that was more of a, a deterrent.
3: And this has always been the challenge for President Biden is no matter what he says, no matter what he does on Ukraine or Israel, he's always been perceived as weak on foreign policy because of what happened in Afghanistan in 2021. And for a lot of people, not just partisans and not just Republicans, that was it. The genie was out of the bottle, the toothpaste was out of the tube, And from that point forward, America was projecting weakness across the world, and our foes were watching, and they were paying attention. And since October 7th, uh, there have been more than 150 uh, proxy attacks from the Iranians. This weekend caught the most headlines, but there's been no response since. And the other challenge that President Biden faces is this is one of those rare issues that unites the Republican Party, all factions of it in the need to be strong, and the need to have deterrence. So he's going to catch it from all sides. He's going to get it from Mitt Romney all the way down to Matt Gates on the right. And at the same time, he's getting pushed on his left flank. We've got protesters a couple weeks ago overrunning the gates of the White House uh, because he's doing too much on, on this issue. So he started off in a really strong place, but as he always does, he always bends back leftwards because he feels that pressure from his left flank.
0: I mean, part of this back and forth, Susan, is the um, is what it's like. Being president, you have tough decisions to make. Um, the question is whether something could have been done to prevent or deter Iran, because they are really behind the funding and and uh, operation of all these proxy groups uh, from from being as bold as they have been with the 165 attacks after October 17th.
2: You know, you you really see calibration going on on both sides, because Iran is very happy to have the U.S under fire, having to deal with these attacks now with attack an attack that killed three Americans, but they don't really want a wider ro- war. I think that's pretty clear. And President Biden wants to show, needs to respond to this later, latest attack with something more forceful than we've seen before because of the U.S. deaths, but he doesn't want to spark a wider role war in the region either. Uh, and that leaves you trying to, trying to kind of figure out what is tough enough but not too tough. And p- people come down at uh, different positions on where exactly that line should be.
0: Panel, we'll hold it right there. I'm interviewing the Qatari prime minister, and they're obviously in, intimately involved in Iran. Um, and there are critics around the globe, uh, different countries that say uh, Qatar should be doing more. They, have, they host uh, Hamas leaders in Doha, and that, that's their home. Uh, Colin and and, uh, they're in the middle of these negotiations to try to get hostages released in exchange for some uh, longer ceasefire. But so far, uh, it doesn't seem like Benjamin Netanyahu is biting on any of that.
3: No, and again, as this election year creeps ever closer, we remember back to how foreign policy can just so quickly overturn the apple cart in terms of how people are viewing the domestic politics. Think back to... The hostage crisis with with president carter and president reagan and how that unfolded and this fits into a larger broader bucket that plays to the republican front runners strength which is the world was a more stable place under my four years as president and he's going to go back to that time and time again which is reminding people that whatever you might think of him personally or his politics or his tweets he is someone who things were a lot easier back then. This, this, These kind of things weren't happening on his watch. I know he's been out there saying that uh every which way. And, of course, you can't prove that this wouldn't have happened under his watch, but you can say it didn't before. And that's going to be something that to the average voter who's just tuning in, who doesn't really know the ins and outs of what's going on over in the Middle East, is going to say, yep, we weren't talking about this when he was in charge. I may not like the guy. But what's going on right now is just really not what I want either.
0: I mean, clearly that is going to happen, Susan, in the pitch of looking back at the Trump administration, what was happening, um, you know, in the economy and and how people felt about things and in foreign policy. However, on the flip side, the Biden campaign is going to focus on, uh, you know, threat to democracy and what happened in the chaos of January 6th and in the aftermath of that.
2: You know, one thing that makes this election different from anything we've seen in our lifetimes, is you've got essentially two incumbents running. You know, they both have records, uh, for good or for ill, uh, from from the, the term that they have served in office, and the, so that's going to make for a different kind of election. You know, the 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 White House, the Biden White House, is very interested in not having this election be a referendum on him, uh, because this, you know, we, as we all know, trouble with his approval rating, his favorability rating. Now, Americans don't rate him highly in handling the economy and foreign policy. They want to make it a choice. But there are ways in which, of course, uh, former President Trump would be happy to make it a choice as well, because some Americans, as Colin said, have have a better think things were better internationally when Trump was there. And we hear when you go out and talk to voters, a lot of them say they felt better about the economy when Trump was in office, although that may be on the verge of changing with some of these good economic reports.
0: Yeah, it was not since 1892 that there was a race between two incumbents. 1892, former President Grover Cleveland, the Democrat, ran against Benjamin Harrison, the Republican, who had defeated him in the election of 1888. And even though Cleveland had successfully appointed a large number of judges to the courts, he was hampered by his unpopular effort to reduce tariffs designed to protect U.S. manufacturing. Uh, so the tariff issue caused him to lose several important manufacturing states, including Illinois by three points, Indiana by less than a point, New York by a point, and Ohio by two points, cost him the vote in the Electoral College. So there you have it. A little bit of history as well. Uh, that'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and a review. We want to hear from you. For Susan, Chad, and Colin, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time.